And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy October 1st to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UZ Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden colonist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy whose headphone cable is wrapped around the chair, and I'm slowly choking to death. Wait a minute. There. And uh, what else do I do? Oh, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there's always a garden dialogue going on, which... uh, I mentioned this over on the KFBK show, but I'll mention it again here. I posted a picture of what I think is the most beautiful Chinese pistache tree I've ever seen. It was in my old neighborhood in Herald, and it, it's just had brilliant red fall color. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And so that's sort of a you know, a little spur to get you to listen to today's radio show. Jeff Gravish is here, certified arborist and sales manager at Bothing Treeland Farms. We're talking about fall tree care and trees with good fall color. And if my aging memory serves me correctly, I think we'll mention privacy screens at some point. I'm, I'm going to remind you about that okay. every 10 minutes. All right, good. That way I'm sure to forget. And, of course, we'll have a garden grappler a little bit later on. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Brooks, are you running the board today? He is. He's here. All right, that's a good thing. And uh, what else do we have? Uh, this is not a good day for trees. I'll tell you why. There's a wind advisory in effect uh, until 11 p.m., Monday night for winds gusting as high in Sacramento to 25 miles per hour. In other areas of Northern California, especially a little further north and west, it'll be gusting to 40 miles an hour. Top that with a red flag warning in effect now until Tuesday. Red flag warning combines heavy north winds and low humidity with an increased threat of fires. So don't do anything stupid. Don't go out and mow a field this afternoon of dry brush and not check that field for big rocks or tricycles or whatever. Uh, basically, don't do it. Just, you know, let, let let the wind blow. I just have a funny feeling that with heavy winds like that predicted for today and tomorrow, Jeff, big branches will go boom. Yeah, that's a good possibility. I mean, you've still got, you know, the leaf leaves are still well attached, yeah. so the wind's not going to blow leaves off. And the tree's basically like a sail. And wind hits it, and, and the, the leaves catch wind, and you're going to get a lot of uh, twisting and torsion. And, and uh, yeah, you'll, you'll have, definitely you'll have some problems. And we'll talk about how those problems developed on trees on this program as well. And we'll answer your garden questions, whatever they may be. 576-1578 in the 916. 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Email? Sure, send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com, and uh, we'll answer your questions there. And, um, well, since we started talking about it, let's uh, continue in that realm of preventative measures one should take when it comes to fall tree care because of storms that will happen. There will be more wind storms through the winter. There always are wind and rainstorms, and uh, there will be branches breaking probably from today here on out. And a lot of those branches will be breaking for the reasons you mentioned about the sail effect with all those leaves on it. But in a lot of situations, those branches are more weakly attached, right? which could have come from poor pruning practices. Uh, and just uh, some trees are notorious for having weak uh, or bad angles of attachment, where the, the angle from the, of the branch coming out of the tree is mm-hmm. a very narrow angle, which is a poorly poor structure issue. 
you get what's called included bark, and that's, that branch will have more of a tendency to want to break off because it's not firmly attached to the trunk. I see you, ornamental pear tree, with your weakly attached branches. Yeah, yeah. or maples. Maples. Maples yeah. are notorious for having weak angles of attachment and, and sometimes not the strongest wood. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are kind of things that you want to have removed or at least reduced so that there's not so much weight on them. Um, and, you know, so that, that's one, one of the major problems. I mean, the first thing you want to look for when you're, when it, that is to look for anything that's broken or damaged. Right. Clean that out. You know, anything that's, that's a diseased, a, a bad branch. It's diseased, it's broken and such. It's not a structural issue. It's just a branch that shouldn't be there anymore because it's got some sort of problem. Then you start looking at the structural issues. And you either have issues of weak angles of attachment or you have branches that are too far out and just have too much weight on them. Right. You know, and those are also problems that, you know, the branch gets such forces applied to it in the wind, um, phys- you know, get into the physics of it. But, you know, a, a big heavy branch is more prone to snap. Right. And it, it doesn't take a wind to do it either. And there's always that weird phenomenon called sudden limb drop, where it's usually happening on a calm summer day where a big branch just falls. Yeah, because the branches get heavy with water. Yeah. But uh, it, it really varies. And I think oaks are number one in that regard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very common thing. Yeah. And uh, we, at a couple of our nurseries, we have large oaks in there, and we actually have had oak branches crash into picnic tables mm-hmm. you know, that we set out for our crews and such. So we have our own hazard in the nursery. Right. But oaks, are, yeah, it's always a, not, it's not a good thing in fall to be standing under oak branches. <laughs> Okay, basically, so there, there's your fall advice, folks. Yeah, don't stand under an oak. The tree. first day of fall, eliminate standing under oak branches. Well, that was last week. Yeah, well, then, so, yeah, you should be pay, paying attention to that right now. <laughs> yeah, all right. And the other mistake a lot of people make when it comes to pruning trees, if, if we may spend a minute talking about um, fruitless mulberry trees, is people will take those branches back to the nubs. We see whole neighborhoods yeah. where tree after tree after tree has been pruned back so heavily you basically just have nubby stubs and what happens when that tree regrows well you get a you can generally get a cluster of weak branches that come out from that same area okay in the nursery industry what we do is we will cut a tree you know generally it's it's very thin caliper very thin branch a thin trunk we'll cut it and we will train a new leader and we'll, that'll get taped or staked, and so you'll, you'll regain the leader. So whenever you take, the, take it, the top of a tree and cut it in some way, you want to be able to regain the leader. You want to be able to regain a single trunk coming back up. That's the whole goal of it. You may reduce the size a little bit, but you want to have the tree continue on in the same growth pattern as you had before. If you just top a tree, you, top, you know, cut something that's two, three inches, old wood, you're going to get a cluster of a weakly attached branches that are going to come out from these these buds are either adventitious buds or they're, they'll just, you know, just dormant buds will pop out and you'll get a cluster of new leaders. Right. And what you'll get as they get bigger is they're weakly attached, uh, they're crowded, and uh, you'll get a, it'll break off eventually. So how do you go about choosing a new leader then when you have that situation where you've cut the tree and you have basically a circle of new leaders coming up? How do you choose the one that will be your future leader? Boy, sound like we're doing politics. Here. Yes, <laughs> um, the, the weakly attached leader. No, yes. the, you want a strongly attached leader. The, the the first thing is is it's best not to top a tree. Best not to cut into you know 
to second year wood, wood that's, you know, branches that are too thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the nursery industry, we, you know, we cut very thin wood pencil or maybe, you know, three quarter inch diameter wood. And then we'll, we'll do certain techniques to get a new leader, you know, and that's a nursery tree. That's the kind of tree you'll buy at a garden center. You've got a big tree, like, a, you know, it's, it's hard to regain that leader. When you, t- when you cut back a tree, your basic homeowner cuts, has somebody come through and they just kind of butcher and cut it off. You're going to have to come back and do follow-up work. You, you know, a good arborist will come back and he'll, he'll you know, go back and to select that leader. Or he'll prune it in such a way where he's, he's already selected a branch to regain the leader. He'll, cut, he'll reduce, um, he'll do a reduction cut and he'll cut back to a, another branch that can, you know, go on to become that leader. And it's hard to describe exactly. But yeah, how do you choose that one? Well, you'll, you'll have, you just look at the structure of the tree. You've got the leader going up, okay, and there's a branch coming off the side. Mm-hmm. And, and leaders don't have to be straight. They don't have to go straight up. They eventually become dominant, and they will regain, you know, the, they'll regain that uh, straightness. You know, they'll start growing upward, you know, toward the sun. Um, but um, you just have to look at the tree. It's, it's easy to pick out a branch. You can say, I want to make that the new leader. And you just you'll you'll do a cut down. You know, there's a technique for cutting properly, and I don't really you know need to get into that because that's something an arborist is going to have to do. If you're that high that high up in a tree, you don't want to do it yourself. And a, a certified <laughs> arborist can go and, and and look and see where the new leader should be, and you should be able to cut it. But just chopping it straight across without any intent to regain the leader is poor uh, arboricultural technique. And we see that uh, under power lines where people may have grown a row of trees, not realizing that uh, those trees would eventually be tickling those power lines, and then the utility company comes in and basically tops those trees. I've seen that done with Coast Redwoods, where basically now you you have to maintain a row of redwood shrubs. Right. Yeah, you know, Just going through, and, 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 and this is, we talked on the other show, that, you know, the crepe myrtles I have on the side of my house, I'm going to go through and just chop them all off. And, you know, crepe myrtles, a little bit different type of tree. So I'm not worried about that having structure above those cuts as I, more I want to fill out, the, fill out below, and that's what will happen. So if you're under power lines and somebody comes through and just cuts it off, they're not going to come back and do any work to try to, to improve the structure of that tree. Of course, the problem is, is that you're going to get, when they, come, when they cut underneath that power line, you're going to get this cluster of branches that are going to grow up, and they're going to go right back into the power lines, and there are going to be more branches than going in the, the power lines than there were before. And they're just going to keep cutting it the same way every time. Right. So, you know, part of that is right tree in the right place, you know, and, 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 and once you, you know, sometimes you're better off taking the whole tree out, and sometimes they'll do that for you. We have to take a break. When we come back, here's another thing for you to remember to remind me to talk to you about. Not, not just privacy screens, but trees for beneath power lines or telephone lines. If you have a backyard or a side yard where there are lines going across which trees are best suited for placement under those lines. So we'll talk about that when we come back. And we'll answer more of your garden questions as well at 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With my guest, Jeff Gravish, arborist, sales manager out at Bothing Treeland Farm, a wholesale grower of trees for the landscape industry. You can't hire him, folks. He's busy. But 
There are, this is something I did want to mention. If you are looking for an arborist, one of the best sites to go to is treesaregood.org. Treesaregood.org. And it's run by the ISA, the International Society of Arboriculture. You can enter in your zip code and up will pop a list of arborists who at least belong to ISA. It's up to you to determine if they are currently insured and probably bonded and, um, Always get references, or at least go to Yelp and check out them. Um, but anyway, go to uh, treesaregood.org if you're uh, looking for not only a arborist to do work, but also for what are called tree assessment uh, arborists. Used to be called, I guess they used to be called, consulting arborists. Maybe they still are. Still are. Okay. Uh, Who have just come out and analyze what's wrong with your trees and give you a, a suggested list of what to do. And if you get into legal issues, like we were talking to mm-hmm. somebody before, if you have legal issues, consulting arborists is the best way to go because they have more training involved as far as, you know, the, the legal aspects and, and representing, you, you know, representation in court, that type of thing. So, you know, a certified, and they, but they don't climb. So if you, want, if you have work that you need to have done, a certified arborist can take care of that and they can make most assessments or most, you know, give you good recommendations. But if you need to have that sort of extra step, where it might involve insurance or, or like I said, lawsuits Bonded, yeah, and such yeah. and such, then a consulting arborist is good. Okay. All right. Now, you, you handed over to me the Schmidt catalog. Schmidt is a wholesale grower of trees. I think they're based in Oregon. They're Oregon. Right? Okay. And they have a whole category called Utilitrees, best suited for planting in the restricted zone between street and sidewalk and beneath utility lines. Hmm. Okay. So uh, basically what they would call back east Hellstrip trees, Hellstrip being what we call here parkways, that little okay. <laughs> area of green between the street and the sidewalk. Yes, that's exactly right. I'm not sure I've ever I've Yeah, I, Hellstrip is certainly a very colorful term to use and, and very appropriate in a lot of situations. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's when you've got a, a parking strip, uh, an area out by the street, uh, by the, uh, the street that's maybe your responsibility or the city's responsibility, mm-hmm. but in many cases now it's your responsibility. And you've got a narrow area, not a lot of room for roots. Yeah. You've got trees overhanging onto streets and sidewalks. And the, you've got to take care of uh, making you know, concrete problems. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of issues with that hill strip. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so these utility trees, utility trees, I guess, would be trees that won't get tangled up in the overhead power lines and probably also have a fairly modest root system that won't crack sidewalks. Right. And and generally, they're just smaller trees. I mean, there's somewhere big trees which are selected. They have individual selections that are smaller. Genetically, they're different than the bigger trees, their, Mm -hmm. their parents. But some are just all around general small trees like a crab apple. Yeah, a lot of crab apples here, a lot of small maples, some cherry trees, uh, plum tree. These are messy trees, plum trees. Um, but the one tree that does stand out uh, for me is that Zelkova tree, the wireless Zelkova. How is the fall color of the wireless Zelkova? It's the same as you know any other Zelkova. It's sort of a, a it's not a great fall color tree. It's sort of a rusty orange mm-hmm. to reddish. And, but it doesn't have a, like a vibrant color like that pistachio you're talking right. about or like a Keith Davy. It's just got sort of a duller orange-red color. But they're pretty reliable trees. So Kova is a tree that doesn't have great structure, and, it's, and they're very, they're, there's a lot of um, – they're not very uniform. So that's why they're able to select a tree like a wireless, which basically doesn't grow tall. It grows wide. Right. And so they've, they've 
seen that in the nursery sometime. They selected that tree and they they propagated and propagated until they they've perfected that that tree grows consistently like that. There's another one in there I think might be city sprite. Yeah, city sprite. And city sprite is just a small round head, a rounded zelkova. We have one in the nursery that's probably 10 years old that is uh, maybe 25 feet, t- 20 feet tall by tw- by 15. Um, they 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 market it as a pruneless tree. I mean, it's just a you don't have to worry about structure because it's such a small tree. It just grows and it just does its thing. It you don't have to worry. No, very few insect problems. Pruneless. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way. If you want to structure it, you can go, into, but you don't have to. Okay. It, it doesn't have branches big enough that are going to be detrimental yeah. you know, and hazardous. W- wasn't Zelkova one of the original selling points of Zelkova was, this is the replacement for that Modesto ash tree we thought would be perfect. Yeah, but that, that may go, I mean, I've been around here for a long time, but I don't remember that part of it. Zelkova is just a, a poorly structured tree. It doesn't want to have a single leader. Mm-hmm. It doesn't want to have a, a strong central trunk. It just takes a point. And it just produces a lot of branches at the same spot. And I was walking in, I was in Atlanta one time. We're looking at the Zelkovas there. And they're just, hor- there's a cluster of branches all growing, coming out from the same point. It's just a messy. Much like a fruitless mulberry. Yeah. It, it, and, and fruitless mulberries, you can, you can prune and make a reasonably standard single trunk tree, mm-hmm. you know, standard, a single leader tree. Zelkova's really hard to do. It just doesn't want to do that. Well, that's a big selling point. Thank you. <laughs> But, but, oh, okay. but the other part of that is they don't produce branches that are so heavy generally that you have an issue with, um, you know, branches breaking like that. Well, one of the, as you mentioned, it's a wide tree and that wireless Zelkova gets to a height of 24, but a spread to 36. Yeah. So that's, that's nice. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a cool tree. I mean, it's, it's gets very flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It looks almost like a, a tree of heaven. I'm sorry to say. Wow, that's pulling another one out too. We we're talking about like, yes. we're talking about the, all the bad the legustrum tree of heaven. Oh my! I was uh, part of the evening dog walk in our neighborhood. Goes by this one property where for some reason they they have a hillside that they just filled with tree of heaven, and it's like why? That's more like the tree of hell. Like if you were talking about it's, the hell. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's. It does. They may not have filled it. It may have just yeah. It may have filled itself. Did, filled itself. It may yeah. have been one tree. I'm not sure people know what a tree of heaven is, but except the tree that's growing out of the sidewalk up in the foothills, someplace. You know, and you wonder where it came from. Yeah, tree of heaven uh, has a, a, a sort of a tropical look to it. Yeah, and it has those beautiful furry pink flowers that uh, look nice, mm-hmm. but boy, do they travel. Yeah, and it's one of those, you know, we talked about weak, fast-growing trees. I mean, it's, it's kind of a survivor, grows any place, grows kind of fast, and it's not a real strong tree, and mm-hmm. it's, except when you want to take it out. Yeah, but, it, yeah, it's, it's, people think, oh, well, this would look great next to my swimming pool. No, don't, don't do that. Don't put a tree of heaven next to your swimming pool. You can't buy them, so you'd have to dig it out someplace or, you know, so it would be one of those, um, you know, one of those, you know, sneak in the middle of the night to your neighbor's yard and, you, or, you know, his, his front sidewalk where it's growing, you know, and you just dig it out and think, I'll put it in my yard and nobody will know. Then you'll pay the price. Or just take a seed pod from one. Or wait till the birds drop something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No reason for you to buy a tree of heaven if you live next door to one. Yeah. You'll get them soon enough. All right. All right. So much for uh, slamming on those guys. Another bypass that we're <laughs> Yes, I yeah. know. A tree of But they're out there. Yeah. They're out there. And it's like, oh, man. Are you done flushing the toilet? Okay, Sandra in Drytown, how are you? Sandra? I'm fine. Oh, there you are. Hi. 
I love your show. Thank you. Where's Dry Town? <laughs> you don't know where Dry Town is? I think I do, but there are several towns that call themselves Dry Town. Where is your particular Dry Town? It's in Amador County along Highway 49 between Plymouth and Sutter Creek. Yes, it, it is near Nashville, isn't it? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Nope, nope. It's, um, no, Nashville's it's closer to Placerville. Yeah. Yes, yeah. this is south of Plymouth. Okay, oh, south of Plymouth. Yes. Yeah, I should know that then. It's it's. I think it's the oldest town in Amador County. It was the original Gold Rush town. Oh, okay. So anyway, uh, go ahead, Sandra. Huh? Go ahead. I have a question about a lime tree that I purchased when it was small and planted it. I think in the wrong place. I planted it close to the house on the south side, but it is now. It's fighting with two other trees. One very very large tree that's in the neighbor's yard. That's um, it's fighting for sun. So now it's sending out these very long, long branches that are trying to reach up and get the sun. Um, what I need to know is, is there a way I can prune that tree to keep it small or would it be best to try to move it to a different location? Now, keep in mind, it's three or four years old. Well, that's not that old. That's not too bad. Uh if if it if you when you prune it it's going to get more sun then that would be the solution if on the other hand it's not getting full sun because of that other tree then you might be better off moving it to an area okay. that does get full sun okay now if i prune it can i how how do i what do i prune <laughs> I mean, do I do I cut those long branches down? Do I do do I cut them off of the of a more of of a major branch? Citrus takes surprisingly well to pruning, and Jeff, oh. feel free to disagree with me on this. I'm a citrus guy, but I just think it's it's hard to tell unless you see the tree. Yeah, well, there there is that too. But uh, according to everybody I know who grows citrus for a living, pruning citrus is best accomplished in the spring. You don't want to do it now. But basically in the spring or early summer uh, in order to avoid frost damage if you did it now. So and, and you can take it back by a third of the total length of each branch uh, every time you prune. So if you pruned maybe I wouldn't say more than twice a year, uh, you could get it back down to six or seven feet tall in, in a fairly short period of time. Moving it might be difficult unless you've done some preparation. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's hard to move a, a tree without losing a lot of root mass. Yeah, exactly. Right. And in, in dry town, I imagine you have mostly rocky soil. Uh, we do. Yes, yes. Rocky uh, and more clay soil. Yeah, I know. And you, your your idea of uh, soil ripping in in Amador County is uh, using dynamite. <laughs> that's a pretty good description. Yeah. Yeah. If you dynamite the tree, that'll be a, that's not going to really save it. So I don't think. No. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to move the tree, one of the things you might want to do though is you, you know you've got to sort of decide how much of a root ball you want to move, and that's that's sort of looking at the tree. It's hard to say exactly, but you could you know, you could prep it by cutting around the you know starting a, a cut early, and just taking a, a a shovel and just cutting the roots all the way around. Now and the roots, you'll still have other roots that'll feed the tree. But what you'll do is you'll you'll sort of get root growth inside that cut, and then you can come back later, and, and the tree will have more. It'll survive more survivability. Let's say right. It's preparation and have the new hole ready to go, and maybe a tarp next to when you dig out the tree, place it on the tarp, and then drag it to the yeah. new hole and immediately plant it. 
Oh, okay. If you you know if you just dig it and move it, you're cutting big roots, and so there's a, a shock value. But if you sat there and cut the roots now, just you know just a shovel's depth all the way around in a circle, the new roots, mm-hmm. root, you know, root, roots will grow inside that cut. Some will grow into that, you know, go out and grow out again. But those will be light roots that um, should be easy to, uh, you know, won't have as much shock mm-hmm. as when you know when you dig it out. And I'm getting a funny look from Brooks, which means we have to go and do something else. Okay. So, so Sandra, well, thank you for the info. You're welcome, and good luck with uh, the lime tree. We'll take a short break. More of Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Jeff Gravish. He's an arborist. He's a sales manager at Bothing Treeland Farms, and he will be the judge for the Garden Grappler at 1105. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Yes, it will be a tree question. Let's delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Elizabeth writes in, and I'm not sure where Elizabeth lives, but she has a sour gum question, Jeff. She says, our soil is alkaline. We tried a sour gum before at a house we lived in close by, and it didn't do well. At the time, I noticed the maples in the neighborhood also looked bad. I will sour gum grow in alkaline soil, wondering if I should try planting this tree again. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. A lot of people forget about the pH of the soil when it comes to planting certain trees. And a tupelo, because it likes a moist soil, I would think, mo- 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 I, I'm just guessing here, mo- moist soils tend to be more acidic. That's my thinking, too. Um, you know, you can always, you go online, you can find, the University of Florida has a great website that they'll list all those things, including, and then there's um, select trees here yeah. that'll list all of that. Um, sour gums generally are pretty tolerant, I think, of a lot of conditions. Um, but you're right, ma- maples and such, forest trees, most of the time are, you know, more prone to uh, get more benefit from acidic soils. Right. There could be other reasons that the tree you know, didn't make it, though. It may not be the soil conditions. may not be the pH. I just went on to the San Luis Obispo site, the select tree site, uh, where they have all that information. And it basically says highly acidic to highly alkaline soil pH. So yeah. it has a wide range. Yeah. So uh, so uh, pH isn't the problem. My guess would be that in order for a tree like a sour gum to get established, it needs regular watering yeah. during its first few years at the very least. Yeah, that, that's for sure. I mean, they're... There are some micronutrient issues with, with sour gums. Uh, lack of this, lack of that can cause some stunting. But definitely that tree needs to get to get established, needs water. It can be drought tolerant, but it can be drought tolerant only when it's got a well-established root system. So that could very well be it, it, that they missed a watering and you know the roots died and it just didn't recover. Wow. And I'm reading here about the sour gum susceptible to fusarium, phytophthora, root rot, rust, and verticillium. Yeah. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, and that might be the other issue is, you know, so many trees are susceptible to verticillium. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure in where she's at and, and if there's, you know, it's prone to verticillium. I mean, I know in living in Lodi, there's verticillium every place. Yeah. And um, you just see it, the, you know, the occasional tree just kick the bucket. And you know, most of the time that's verticillium. So it happens fast. Is there such a thing as a verticillium wilt-resistant tree? Yeah, there's there's a list that you can Google. Um I always forget what they all are. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> you know, because most trees are susceptible to verticillium. Verticill- wow, verticillium in mm-hmm. some way. Try saying phytophthora and verticillium over no, and over again, or spelling happen. them for that matter. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's um, a case of uh, there are some trees available that would would work. Um, I'll, I'll find that list. Yeah. All right. But in the meantime, let's go back uh, to the old phone thing here, and let's talk with Don in Sacramento. Hi, Don. Yeah, uh, I've got a apricot tree and an apple tree, and they got a lot of suckers that's growing around them. Is there any way you can prevent those from coming back all the time? Suckers on apricot trees. Sucker stopper? Well, if the plant is registered for use for that product, so what you need to do is go down to your local hardware or nursery store and look at a bottle of sucker stopper, which is a product of Monterey chemicals, and see if apricots are listed on that tree uh, because you do not want to apply a, a sucker stopper to a tree that could be damaged. If by applying it, because it may do more damage than you think. But again, you'd have to go to the label for Sucker Stopper to see if uh, apricots are listed as okay to use. Would that be the same for apple tree, too? Uh, the apple, the yeah. apple tree, it just has a few, you know, a few suckers that come right around close to the trunk. But on the apricot tree, those suckers go as clear as the drip line. Hmm. Okay. It says sucker stopper will work on apples. Okay. Yeah. You're reading the label, Jeff? Yeah. He's sort of getting there. Okay. The computer's going slowly. Yes. Welcome to the club. The, uh, yeah, they're, but uh, read and follow all label directions. That's uh, either that or, you know, prune them off by hand as they appear. Now, you're talking, are you talking about suckers emanating from the trunk or along the roots? I think it's along the roots. So they're coming now, on, the apple tree, on the apple tree, they might, they might be around the roots, but on the, Apricot tree, they go out oh, far, far from the trunk. Or they're they're more closely attached to the trunk, or further away the, from the, the trunk. Further apart on the trunk from the uh, for the apricot tree, but on the so, apple tree, they're right close to the trunk. Okay, all right. So apricots are probably root growth, and uh, yeah. apples are on the trunk, or vice versa. Uh, yeah, welcome to the club on that one, too, Don, uh, because uh, I'm dealing with liquid amber uh, sprouts that come up, and basically anytime I walk the yard, I've got my clippers with me, and I just cut them below soil level. And sometimes if they're big enough, they really pull up quite nicely. But um, And I've got a, a large flowering cherry, a weeping cherry, and it puts up suckers off the roots, root sprouts right. all, all over the place, and I've got to keep cutting them out. Yeah, and then so, so cutting them out is, is a good strategy to employ, and eventually they'll stop doing that, won't they? No. No, <laughs> no it, it depends, but my, my tree's been there 15 years, and yeah. it's been doing it ever, all along. Yeah, and, uh, but if, I mean, in my case, taking the liquid amber out, there's nothing to supply it with more energy now. Yeah. It's just the roots, and those will eventually give up. Yeah. I don't know who's going to give up first, me or them. Anyway, so, Don, I hope that helps. Yeah, okay. I'll give it a shot and see what happens. All right. Good luck to all of us. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You got questions? We I can make up answers. Jeff can make up answers, too. He's good at this. 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. My guest, Jeff Gravish, arborist, sales manager at Bothing Treeland Farms. We're talking trees on today's program, getting some uh, good ideas for fall color, good ideas 
for preventive maintenance in case winter storms might knock a branch or two down, plus answering your questions, whatever they may be, at 5761KST, 866-331-8255, or email you send to fred at farmerfred.com. Phil in Lafayette, uh, I I shudder to think what your question may be. It's Moraga, Phil. Okay, so I believe it's Crocus Labata. I had a huge branch fall the other day, uh, probably 3,500 pounds of this tree. And the moisture that came out of the base of that thing was amazing. But my question is, what about ultrasound? Is there like an ultrasound now that the arborists are using for these trees? Um, Something like that? I can't speak to that. I wouldn't call it ultrasound, but I know that there are, there, oh, how to get technical on this. I know that there's devices that they can use to check for canker. You know, in other words, to see if there's hollow trunk and such. Far right. As- Okay, so it's sort of like uh, sending a sonar. Beam yeah, yeah, you'd, 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 you'd have to talk to somebody who who you know uses that type of thing. I don't get involved in that, but I know that there are there's a way to to check and see you know if a, if a trunk is hollow, if it's rotted out, or branches are rotted out, you know that give no sign from the outside. Um, you know, a big branch falling off of an oak, you know, that's full of water. That's you know, like we were talking about before. That's not an uncommon thing. Well, I've seen I've seen several trees in Lafayette area that have fallen this year, full trees, that I could actually reach my my fist up in there, probably about a foot, in the base of the tree after it came out because there was it's like it was like termites in there, but this tree was beautiful, but it, it's like the acorns are, must be like two to three, uh, excuse me, two to three times larger than they were last year. The yeah. amount of water we have this year. It, it is a massed year for acorns, as they're fond of saying. Yeah, acorn production is really inconsistent. Yeah. I mean, there'll be a year that's great. There'll be a year that's, that's you know, not great, you know, so it really varies. But again, also, uh, if you get a lot of moisture in the soil and the temperature's been warm and they're pulling up a lot of water into the tree, you could get a lot of weight out there. And like I said, it's not uncommon for oak branches to come down on a regular basis just because of, you know, when you when it's got its own name, you know, for oaks that branches to fall, um, you know, it's, it's, real, it's a common thing. Yeah, oaks are number one when it comes to sudden limb drop. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a great day. Phil, thanks for calling. Don't Appreciate enjoy it. Enjoy your bike ride, okay? I will. I always do. I, will. I know you will. All right. Bye now. Bye. All right. Uh, Amy in Sacramento, welcome to Get Growing. Hi. Um, my neighbor's Asian fruit tree is has uh, uh, rotted on the ground. Is it okay to, to compost it or dig a hole and put it in, bury it? You Rot- mean after chipping and shredding it? No, 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 no. The fruit. Oh, the fruit. fruit. Oh, the fruit. Uh, do you have raccoons or possum? <laughs> that would yeah. Be my, yeah, that would be my concern is that they would find it. They have good noses. Oh, they would They would eat it. Yeah, they would. rotting. They, it's all over there rotting. Yeah, well, if, if they're in it now, uh, burying it a few inches deep isn't going to stop them. They're just going to dig it up. Yeah, but um, is there uh, uh, chances of a disease? Oh, as far as if you, well, I, that's, I would put it in a compost pile first. Oh, okay. Do that. If you have a good active compost pile where the temperature is getting up to 120, 140 degrees, that's the best way to, if you will, sterilize a lot of plant problems before you use the compost. What's that? The possums won't get in there. Well, the the good part about having, say, a three foot by three foot by three foot uh, series of compost bins like that is you can cover them. And you can keep them 
I won't say raccoon or possum proof, but you can certainly make it difficult for them. And sometimes the temperatures are hot enough to discourage. Yeah, right. If the temperature in your compost pile is over 120 degrees, they probably won't want to mess in it. Oh, okay. But my my compost pile isn't covered. So, but anyway, um, aphids. You were talking about aphids. Yep. How does it get up there in the tree? Jeff, how do those aphids get up there in that tree? I'd like to know that too. Aphids can have wings. Yeah, they fly. I mean, if you look at an aphid, especially in spring, you may not see wings on it, but they'll develop wings. Uh, you know, especially later in the season, like this time of year, they, you know, it's a they want to survive. They reproduce quickly. They develop wings. They fly off and they spread them, spread little aphids every place. And if you see ants in the neighborhood, those ants are moving the aphids around as well in order to increase the, what the secretion of honeydew from the aphids. And the ants take that honeydew back to their nest because they love a good sweet dessert. Yeah, I mean aphids are fascinating because when an aphid's born, there's already a new aphid forming inside. They're born pregnant. They're born pregnant. It's, yeah. in, they, it's asexual reproduction at one time and then they at another time they lay eggs at one time they have wings another time they don't have wings and uh, um, they just produce massive populations when north korea drops the bomb the aphids will survive (laughs) so 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 the the eggs um over the winter they still they're still alive well the eggs are dormant if you will and when they when the weather heats up they they yeah, i know i can't remember if i you know like i said it's been too long but um they may overwinter as adults i can't remember for sure you know they'll they'll find a crack in a bark yeah. or in the soil right. and they just hunker down and then they they survive the winter and then they they come back out just like bears hibernate yeah you, they yeah. some some insects uh, overwinter as eggs some overwinter as adults this is why fall chore number one for everybody should be clean up to pick up fallen fruit fallen branches uh, clean up weeds to prevent these bad bug hotels from surviving over the next six months or so. And that's why dormant oil is important mm-hmm. in a lot of cases yeah. because you spray the trunk because you've got a lot of insects that will overwinter in the in bark. Right. And so you want to spray that. The oil smothers the egg or smothers the, the larva or whatever stage it's at that it overwinters in. Right. You spray the trunk with the oil? Right. Yeah. The whole tree. Yeah. The whole tree because of the bark. They, they can hide under the bark. Yeah. Oh, when you go and spray the um, shoot, shoot the, the like the roses and stuff, and the the aphids off, and it drops to the ground. Are they still alive? They have a hard time getting back up, and they don't usually survive. That's why it's okay to use the water on a rose bush to wash the aphids off. Chances are very low of them getting back up into the feeding zone unless there are ants around to help them. And they're soft-bodied, so yeah. heavy pressure hitting them the right way will will kill them. I mean, a- aphids are sort of like the cows of the insect world. They just sort of, <laughs> you know, they just sort of move around in herds and or what, you know, not herds so much, but they move around and they just sit and feed yes. and just do nothing, and yeah. then they get knocked off. And and the ants are milking the aphids. And the ants there are you the go. Aphids, yeah. Yes, yes. Nature's what does little the dairy ants farmers. Do? They milk the aphids and then. They get something out of them? Yeah, they they do with that. The secretions, the honeydew, they take it back to their nest because it's a very sweet treat. It's food for the ants. So they take that honeydew back to their nest. Oh, it's just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it's a. What happens is the back of an aphid's got two little. Little, little prongs. They and I can't remember the technical term anymore. But lenticels. Well, no, no. they're they're. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got a. That's my I degrees don't. entomology, and I can't remember. But anyways, the ants will will t- will t- irritate those, tickle those, and the aphid will produce the car- will a drop of carbohydrate, and the ants will eat that. 
I mean, the what aphids produce is, is a sugary material, and the ants that's a, a food for the ant. Boy, that's weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Amy, we have to run here. Thanks for calling. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. Bye. We'll take a break for news. When we come back, it'll be time for a garden grappler, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Price closet. Jeff Gravish will be the judge for today's garden grappler. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. It is certainly not a comprehensive clue because I'm sure you will think of answers off the top of your head when we ask the question. And, of course, all five callers will get a prize with a special bonus prize for Caller 5. So that'll be on the Garden Grappler coming up at 11.05. Also, a little bit later on in the program, we're going to find out how to take better garden photos. What sort of light you need, best time of day, what how to position yourself to take the best photos of your garden that you're very, very proud of. Don't forget this show also available as a podcast. You can download it from K or excuse me, you can stream it from KSTE.com or the iHeartRadio app. You could download it from iTunes or your other favorite third party podcast aggregator. That's get growing. We'll take that short break. Garden Grappler on the way here on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Brooks, are you ready in there for the Garden Grappler? Are you ready to write down names and numbers of all these people who just might win something? Jeff Gravish is ready. He's here. Arborist. He's the sales manager at Bothing Treeland Farms down in Lodi. And he knows his trees with good fall color. And what I want to know from you is... Name a deciduous tree with red as the predominant fall color. I think the key word there, Jeff, might be predominant. Okay, that's a good key word. All right, yeah. Name a deciduous tree with red as the predominant fall color. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. The number's to call, 576-1578 in the 916 area code, 576 576- 1578, outside the area, 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Those are the numbers to call for the Garden Grappler. Name a deciduous tree. I'm not going to, at this point, I will not define deciduous for you. Name a deciduous tree with red as the predominant fall color. And Jeff, I would think that off the top of your head, you could come up with five. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, can, I would hope so. I can barely remember five trees at any one time, but I can. I think I can handle that. <laughs> All right. And, of course, there is a clue available at FarmerFred.com that um, there are actual answers there, but it could also lead you to other places that would have answers. But I think you can do it and have a backup answer. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Uh, I'm going to correct myself from whatever I said earlier about the uh, hillside on my daily dog walk where I saw what I thought were Tree of Heaven Uh, on a hillside that somebody had planted. No, not tree of heaven. It's the mimosa tree. It's the albizia julie brisson, not the alianthus altissima, which both are weedy trees. Yeah, albizia is in normal production, and the ailanthus is... Is it really? Yeah, still it's production. Okay. We stopped growing it because, again, if a tree has a disease named after it, you don't grow it, and this has albizia wilt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so if you have albizia wilt, and those uh, albizias can yeah. die back. It's a weed. It's a weed that can die back, <laughs> okay. so, which All is right. good if it's a weedy tree, you get rid of it that anyway, way. Anyway, so when I was talking about the tree of heaven, I really meant the mimosa. 
I've had this problem for at least 35 years I can think of. Every gray hair is a dead brain cell. I say this to my staff over and over again when they, I, when they look at me quizzically like, what are you saying? Yeah. And if you don't have any hair left, then that means that uh, you really You're, you're wearing a baseball cap. I can't tell. Yeah. Trust me. That's why I'm wearing a baseball cap. All right. Anyway, so we got some good questions coming in on the emails while people are thinking about red as the predominant fall color for a tree. Name a deciduous tree with red as the predominant fall color. Let's uh, tackle the subject of the BB tree. Tim in Auburn writes in, he says, can I grow a bee tree in Auburn? I'm a beekeeper and have read that this tree is one that bees like because it blooms late in the season. Now, you hadn't heard of it. I hadn't heard of it. But at least Tim knew the botanical name for it. That helps us out. Tetradium dan- danielii. Yeah, we had to look this one up because it's, yeah. it's, this is a tree that's not in common production, although we discovered that it is growing in the area. Yeah, it's at places. Sac State University, yeah. according to uh, the uh, San Luis Obispo Select Tree site. So, it, it, you know, just based upon what we read, it looks like it would grow fine here. Um, it is. It produces an edible oil, and it also produces an oil from hair oil. So I guess there's a combination there of some kind that hmm. you can get from it. But um, the the other thing though is you might want to try something else that will you know that will attract bees just as well, like a Sephora Japonica. <laughs> Y'all, I know you're shaking your head, but I'm just, I'm saying from attracting bees. Yes, I know. Okay, I know. every tree and it, it will. Yeah, it'll it'll attract yeah. lots and lots and lots yes. and lots of bees. It has cream colored flowers in the summer, and that's what you'd want because this BB tree flowers in the summertime, so it would attract bees after the spring bloom. Yeah, and Sephora would be more readily available, Not still not easy to get, but more readily available than this, unless this is a mail-order tree. Yeah. Um, having lived with two Sephora Japonicas, and for the life of me, I'm trying to figure out why I ever decided to make those two the focal point of my backyard in Herald, but I did, because it's like owning an Italian sports car. You have to put a mechanic on retainer. Yeah, I did the same thing. I had it right in back of my patio. It's a beautiful tree. You would look at it, and it just would drop flowers constantly. It just never stopped dropping white flowers. Yes. And it just got to be such a mess, I just eventually tore it out. And branches would fall. And it's a small it's weak bridges. tree. Yeah. It's, it's one of those fast, weak trees. And this tree is fast, and so hence probably might be weakly structured. Right. The Sephora Japonica, also known as the Japanese pagoda tree, is... Uh, for you experts out there, it, yeah. it, because it does require consistent care. There's a variety called Regent, mm-hmm. which is more uniform because there's a lot of variation, but this is a more uniform tree. So Sephora Japonica Regent, if you can get it, is a better tree. It still produces copious amounts of flowers. There's also a tree called Laburnum, mm. um, which is, whoa, shoot now, I'm not going to remember what it is. The whoa, shoot now tree. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, laburnum is a tree grown in Oregon, and it's notorious for also having a lot of bees. But that might be, you know, somebody like Green Acres might be able to get laburnum. I think it's Vossii, V-O-S-S-I. Um, Good. Let's put the onus on them. Yeah, yeah. Go to Green Acres <laughs> and ask them to get the BB tree. Yes. Or, yeah. That, that's, they'll love me for this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It'll come to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> I know where they're around. We sell goes. a lot of trees to Green Acres, and they're going to sit there, and, and they're going to ask us where we can get it. Now, you suggested it. Find it for us. Yeah. All right. The um, Yeah, summer blooming trees. That's an interesting topic. Are bees attracted to crepe myrtle? Not a lot. No. I no, know. No. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, then what are the other ones? Oleanders, uh, 
chitalpas, and mm-hmm. you know we're mentioning trees now that have a lot of problems. Yes, you know that we that you we wouldn't recommend planting under any circumstances. Yeah. But but there's um, there's some Southern California trees. Um, Oh gosh! Now I'm gonna. Oh, the uh, I know the one you mean, uh, <laughs> the purple. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know. We're we're both. But anyways, there's a couple of nice desert jacaranda. Willow. Well, jacaranda. Um, oh, jacaranda. But there's also yeah. desert willow. Um, and I can't. Yeah. Remember, uh, botanical name. Salix. No. No. Um, if we type in desert willow, it'll come up. Yeah, I, I can't know. That's what too it is. easy. No, it's it's not a it's not a, a salix at all. All it's, right. Uh, it's something rather that I can't remember. Okay. But anyways, those are summer flowering trees. They might attract bees. I can't tell you specifically on that one. I haven't seen them. Chilopsis linearis. Chilopsis linearis. There, there we go. go. There's the desert willow. That's a All tree right. that's in more in increasing production in Northern California. As you know, as temperatures get hotter, there, there's a tendency now to there's this tendency to bring in more water loving Northern you know uh, uh, Oregon trees and also Southern California drought tolerant trees. Is the chilopsis has it been developed to the point where the varieties available now are more conducive to life here? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. It. I mean, it's it's can be cold tolerant in really cold situations. I mean, you know, if it's really cold, you might have some dieback. But you know, we grow them in a desert location, and it gets to be pretty cold there. We can get snow on the ground at times. Mm-hmm. Um, Monrovia grows one I think called Timeless Beauty, which is more of a dwarf one. So there's a lot of varieties. We grow one called Bubba, which is <laughs> yes, which is. <laughs> Which is a really cool-looking tree. All right. And the desert willow also is, is widely available, too. Yeah. And it's, um, I'm just reading. Everybody all, up here, all the, the major tree growers up here, there's, I think there's, there's five, I can remember, there's five of us. Uh, I think we all grow chilopsis now. What are the problems associated with it? Uh, it's, it it's a tree that wants to be a multi, wants oh, to be a shrub, okay. shrubby. So, right. you know, grow it as a standard. It takes a little bit of work to get it to, to grow that way. It's a little bit cold tolerant. Other than that, it's pretty Pretty tough tree. Yeah. Okay. The desert willow. I know. I see it on a lot of lists now. Yeah. For uh, trees that would qualify if you need to put in a drought tolerant landscape. Yeah. What What is the eventual height and spread of a? I can't remember for sure, but I think it's it's probably going to be in the the twenty twenty five. It's a small tree, I believe. Yeah. I think I'm reading it on the select tree site. Fifteen to thirty feet for height. Ten to twenty feet for width. And part so, of that is if it's a multi-trunk or not. Mm, yeah. Okay. Umbrella shape. Uh, resistant to Texas root rot, but susceptible to root rot. Yeah. It's, don't overwater it. I okay. mean, it's got to be definitely, you know, as uh, I said, cold is a problem, but also, okay. you know, you got a desert tree. It's got to be yeah. in a good, well-drained condition. Drought-tolerant plants are a two-edged sword, and I'm thinking of Ceanothus, where if you overwater it, it croaks. That's yes. why it's such a short-lived plant in our area because people, if they have a yard and they put in a ceanothus, chances are there's a plant in the vicinity that's getting water, and the ceanothus is going to get that water, and it doesn't want summer water. Well, and also the summer heat here. Ceanothus is more of a coastal plant. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are varieties. You know, there's lots of varieties and a lot of sub subspecies of ceanothus, but ceanothus is mostly more more coastal. Yeah, and so. You know, as we've had this summer, you know, five or six days of 105 degree temperatures. Or 30 days of 90 plus. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes it difficult. Ceanothus uh, in a container, I mean, it, it's a tough one to buy because they don't like to be in containers in the heat. They, they struggle. And there's some varieties that are more heat tolerant, but um, it's, a, it's a tough one to buy, plant, and have it survive. All right. But the desert willow does have a fragrant flower, so that's nice. And there is one in Porterville, 
that is 40 feet high with a trunk circumference of 71 inches and a crown spread of 36 feet. That sounds like it could be a bubba, sort of a big fat thing. Yeah, it's a, registered as a California big tree. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. All right, so we have to add Chilopsis now to our list of more plants you're going to see around here. Yeah, and then there's also Cicidium Desert Museum, Palo Verdes. Mm-hmm, yeah. That one is increasing. That, that's a very popular tree to put in a landscape now is a desert tree. Right. Beautiful yellow flowers, uh, sp- late spring. But again, the key for all of these plants that don't like much water is hydrozoning, where you're grouping other plants around it that also don't require much right. water. And you got to be very careful. You can't mix and match. And hydrozoning is a really good term because that's what's happening with landscape architects. When they design a new landscape, commercial and mm-hmm. such, they've got to hydrozone the plants you know, as per regulations. Exactly. And those regulations, they're going to start enforcing those soon. And all these new landscape uh, regulations that uh, have been on the books for years, and they're finally going to start getting around to enforcing these. And you're, you're going to have to jump through more hoops when you do a major uh, landscape redesign. Right. Thank you for nodding your head. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was uh, well. And commercial, <laughs> it, commercial now to get to get plans approved, if for a landscape architect to get his plans approved. Yeah. I mean, they've got to be hydrozoned. It's got to be already done. There's a, it's there's a really involved process. Yeah. Landscape architects are beating their heads against the wall. So I uh, tell you what, you people go beat your heads against the wall for a couple of minutes here. When we come back, we have answers. I hope we have answers for the garden grappler. We have five people lined up. There is one open line at 866-331-8255. More Get Growing and your answers to the Garden Grappler coming up on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With five people on the line who say, I can answer the Garden Grappler, which is name a deciduous tree with red as the predominant fall color. Jeff Gravish is here to judge the quality of your answers. Let's start with Kathy and Folsom. Hi, Kathy. Hi. So go ahead. Give us a tree with predominantly red fall color. How about liquid amber? Mm. Okay. I, well, there is a... Oh, is there a variety that is predominantly red? Well, yes. not... What, which no. one? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there's a variety that is... Th- th- not predominantly red, but predominantly purplish. Okay. So burgundy. So we we consider the color burgundy red. God, you're okay. easy. All right. Fine. <laughs> well, no, I can be really hard with this, but no, that's okay. But uh, I mean, liquid amber is usually are. There's one festival which is a variety of colors. There's yeah. there's Palo Alto, which is it's got red and, and oranges in it, and burgundy is pretty solid. Purplish. I'm going to institute a new rule on this program. Nobody is ever allowed to use the word liquid amber again on this program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it is a it's a difficult word. To, it, when somebody asks us for liquid amber, we usually laugh. Yeah. All right. All right. But Kathy, if Jeff says it, burgundy qualifies, then fine. Okay. So Very I'll be good. I'll be sending you the uh, Sacramento Tree Foundation and Smuds list of recommended trees for our area. And okay. they're citing guidelines along with the, the Farmer Fred Fall Garden Checklist. So that'll be coming your way. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. All right. Bye. All right. Let's go to West Sacramento and Don in West Sac. Hi, Don. Hi. So, Don, go ahead. Give us a tree with predominantly red fall color. Chinese pistache. Which one? I'm oh, going to be more difficult now. No, no, don't be more difficult now. <laughs> okay, do it right. for one, do it for all. Okay, yeah, 
All right. Yes, you're right. Chinese, Chinese pistache can have a variety of oranges and reds, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's variable, just genetically variable. Some are more red than others, and that's why Keith Davey was selected because of the red color. So the Keith Davy Chinese pistache was the answer you were looking for. Yeah. Okay. But it's still Chinese pistache. That part was right. Yeah. All right. Hey, Don, good going. I'll be sending you that same stuff I told Kathy I'd send her. Okay. All right. Thank Thanks you. for calling. Well, All right. Well, especially after you said that you saw the most beautiful red Chinese pistache yeah. ever. I wonder, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> yes. Bob and Cameron Park, go ahead. Give us a tree with predominantly red fall color. My goodness, you guys are intimidating me, but I love your show. I love your show. I don't know very much about plants at all, but I did have one plant in my front yard that seems to turn red and one in the back. The one in the back was a, was a fruitless pistachio. Really? And, and, uh, and it is beautiful, and it's just starting to turn red right now. And then the one don't, in the no, front, no, don't, I don't, no, let's don't, 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 yeah, exactly. Don't say it. Don't give away another answer. Because it's not an answer. Oh, okay. It's the answer that was, anyway, nonetheless, I really liked your show. I was just turning it on this morning, and, and I was talking to your screener. And I did have a question, if that's okay, and then you can. Well, I want to hear the reason Jeff is nodding his head yes to your answer of a fruitless pistache. Well, technically, we used told, to. I don't know, to be honest, and, I, and that's why I was a little intimidated, because you guys are so technical about your stuff, and I appreciate it. But I have this, <laughs> this cache in the backyard, that, and I've, I've actually picked up so many. I've, they're all in the community now and down in Coloma Valley, because I've taken some of the little ones that have grown around my property over the years, over the last 20 years, and I've turned them into some nice little groves. But the seeds are teeny, 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 but they do um, they, um they spread. It was a fruitless pistachio, so that's all I know. There is a, a problem now with the Chinese pistache uh, spreading to riparian areas around Sacramento, especially along the American River Parkway, where the birds have moved the berries from the female Chinese pistache trees to other areas. And I know that just the few pistachios I had out in Herald, there were interest, interesting sprouts, new ones coming up in the strangest places. So it had to be the birds moving things about. Yeah, and that's Did part of Okay. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, they're not too invasive, though. As you know, they're easy to get out. They're easy yeah. to come right out. And they're not like when you pull one, you're going to get 10 more. It's not like right. a major it, no, type species, it, but you're right. Hey, I have a quick question, if that's okay. Okay. Now, in our community, earlier this year, we had some strange weather. You know that in the spring and then the early summer. And we had some of our blue oaks up here that did some really weird stuff. I don't know if it was a mold. And somebody's probably already talked to you about this, and you probably already mentioned it, so I feel like an idiot. Um, but... I was concerned because it looks like a lot of the blue oaks were going to die in certain areas, and now they look like some of them are going to be okay. And I don't know. Is it something that's going to be devastating to our community up here with the blue oaks specifically, or are you even aware of that? Yes. No, actually, you're like the third person or so who has mentioned this uh, about this problem that the blue oaks are having in the foothills. It was like a, a mold or a mildew early in the season. Does that ring a bell with you, Jeff? Not at all. No, I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah. Well, if you drive up here, if you drive up here, you will see a lot of trees, especially if you go like you're going down to Coloma and you drive off uh, Shingle Road, North Shingle, you just look out and it looks like it's going to be devastating for fires uh, if those trees, in fact, do die because there's, I mean, it's it's massive. It's just, it looks, it just looks brown like the whole, every blue oak is dying. And it's specific to the blue oaks. It's not anything else. 
Um, and I was just concerned if you guys knew anything, if there's something that, if, if they're going to come back, if there's something that can be done to mm-hmm. them. I don't have a bunch on my property. I do have a couple here in Cameron Park, and they seem to be okay. But as you get further down that, that area, they seem to really, and because they grow a lot down there. So, Jeff, is uh, the uh, blue oak also part of the sudden oak death uh, conspiracy? Well, that's what I was just going to mention. I mean, yeah. sudden oak death is primarily, you know, Bay Area and Santa Cruz Mountains mm-hmm. and, and up, you know, coastal. But I think there are instances of it, you know, very localized and, and frequent instances up in the foothills. Yeah. I would think that, that if we would have heard if it was something, if it was really sudden oak death that was causing the problem. Yeah, we would have heard something by now, because yeah. that's Photophora. Okay. Yeah, and I well, know that good. there's a lot of research on it right now. Yeah. Um, well, they, never did, they never did turn blue this spring. When they usually the sprouts come out, they usually light up, and they seem to appear kind of bluish-green. And I'm sure that's where they got their name, but they never did it this year. And then all of a sudden, this fall, they started turning brown. They, many of them have lost their leaves, and they look like they're dead or dying. But anyway, hey, I'll let you get to your other calls. Keep up the good work. I'm enjoying it. My wife's going to get angry that I'm getting to do all this stuff and have fun with plants and stuff today. So <laughs> thank you, guys. All right. Thanks all right. for calling. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, the, I think with the Blue Oak situation, I wonder if it was too wet of a winter for That's you. what I think. Yeah. You know, we, we have, in our nurse, we have 360 acres in our one location in Lodi, and we had Blue Oaks growing in the nursery. And, you know, they've, you know, dropping one by one. And part of it is because, you know, it's a wet condition as far as, you know, we water plants, we irrigate our trees, and then, you know, it goes into the soil. Yeah. So they're in a continually more wet situation than they normally are. The trees, they just can't survive that. And the soils around here stayed wet from all the rains through May and June. Right. So that that may be the answer right there is uh, just too much water. Roy and Citrus Heights, can you uh, add to our list of trees with good red fall color? Uh, yeah. Uh, how about Crotagus douglasi? Wow, there you go, the Crotagus Douglas eye. Oh, okay. Thanks for the pronunciation. Oh, that's uh, hey, people do it to me all the time, so it, it, it one of the few chances I get. That one I can't. It. That one we would have to look up. I don't know that that specific tree. Okay, uh, listed with the g- generic name of the black haw, and also alongside the Douglas thorn tree and the western thorn apple. Yes, don't give away any more answers there. <laughs> oh, I thought they were all part of that. Same yeah, no, oh, yes, uh, yeah. No, you're right. Plant. It's, so it's not a common there. common um, ornamental, So, and it, nobody grows it around here that I know of, so I'm not sure on that one. It is on the list at Las Palitas Nursery. Oh, well, there we go. That's, okay. that's yeah. And, and a clue for the uh, uh, garden. Yes, exactly, which is Las Palitas Nursery. So, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So it is, it. it is there. So good going. I'll be sending you the... Uh, Whatever I said I'm going to send people today, which is the uh, Tree Foundation and SMUD's list of recommended trees for our area and citing guidelines. Quick, a question before I go. Sure, go ahead. Okay, uh, wood, common wood sorrel uh, kind of looks like a giant clover with yellow flowers. Yeah. Kind of pretty, but boy, with the rain last winter, it just practically took over my yard. And I noticed a neighbor down the way, it just... It took over his entire front yard, uh, and I realized, wow, this thing's extremely invasive. Um, so I was wondering, uh, can I knock that back with flame weeding, or am I going to have to dig way down and get to the root system to get rid of it? That? Uh, that's a good idea. Actually, uh, If with uh, creeping wood sorrel, uh, that might be one of the controls recommended. I tell you what, we're running out of time here, but uh, coming up about 11.45 or so, I'll go into detail on that, about Thanks. control for uh, this form of... Oxalis, really. 
That's what it is, creeping wood sorrel. Okay? Thank you very much. All right, Roy. Thanks for calling. Appreciate that. And caller number five in today's Garden Grappler, it's Karen in Valley Springs who has seven answers ready. All right. I did. And I got the um, botanical names for you, too. Oh, everybody wants their psychic bonus points. Pronunciation is important. You never give them to me. Okay. Pr- pronunciation is important. Remember that. <laughs> give us your top. We're kind of running out of time here, so give us your top two. Okay. Uh, blazing, blazing Autumn Maple. Blazing Autumn Maple. And the botanical name? Some kind of Acer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Acer whatever is not a a, a botanical name. <laughs> oh Lord! Well, the thing is, I'm afraid to go to my list because I'm afraid I'll drop you off my phone, and then you won't give me anything. <laughs> well, so, no, the blazing uh, autumn, autumn maple blade. is is good. Yeah, I mean, what you can do is you figure, okay, it's autumn blazing maple. They just say Acer autumn blazing, and you get close. <laughs> it's Acer autumn blaze. Okay. Really? And I don't have to pronounce that in Latin. Acer Freeman. Is- oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, it's Acer Freeman I is the... Oh, the Freeman I? Yeah. Okay. All right. Then you had a second one? You're, you're, since you and had the seven. second one is the um, Cherokee Chief Redbud. The yeah. Cherokee Chief Redbud. And what would be the botanical name uh, for that? Cherokee Chief Redbud? Or Cherokee, Cherokee Chief Dogwood? Oh. Dogwood. Oh, it's a dogwood. dogwood. All right. You corrected yourself. Okay. Yeah, because I don't... Never mind. I was trying to keep it succinct because you're busy. Yeah, I know. And, I know. And I have a real quick question because I know those two work because I saw pictures. The real quick question is, am I going to be following up my Fremont poplar uh, roots the way you are with liquid amber? Is it just cutting out, cutting out, cutting out? Probably. Because oh, yeah. we had one die and we had the roots chased at $600 and I've got a, a forest of you know, the poplars coming up. Well, the good news is those roots will eventually die off. But in the meantime, keep a sharp hoe handy. Okay. You cut the tree down, you said, though, and you're, and the, you're getting suckers it, coming up? It fell on our house. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, at least there's no tree growing, and it's just the suckers coming up. It's spray with Roundup? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't. It depends on uh, how waxy the leaf is. Yeah, you just got to keep knocking it down until it just can't make food yeah. anymore. It starves stop. itself. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Karen, okay. I'm, I, because you live in Valley Springs, I think the uh, Sacramento County uh, Gardening Guiding Calendar would be perfect for you. I am so psyched. Thank you. So I'll be sending you that. So, Karen, congratulations. Thank you so much, guys. You have a good day. All right, you too, Karen. Thanks so much for the call. And Jeff Gravish, happy birthday, and thanks for uh, driving up to the radio station today. And thank you for the huge cake with the 65 candles. Oh, that's okay. We had to get a dispensation from the local fire district to yeah, do no, that. The alarm went off, but that was okay. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, enjoy your waxy treat. Thanks right. so much. All right, when we come back, we're talking garden photography on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. One of the pleasures of having a garden is taking pictures of your garden and sharing it with others. Also in this day and age of smartphones with cameras, gardeners are using it to take pictures of problem plants or bugs that they don't recognize. They might take it to a master gardener or a nursery for identification. But there are some tips when you're doing garden photography especially of bugs and leaves, 
that can come in handy. And we're talking with Sacramento County Master Gardener Jan Fettler. She's been taking garden photos for over 40 years. And Jan, it's a changing world out there. Not too many people are hauling cameras around anymore. They have a smartphone. Yes, in fact, people ask me what kind of camera I use. And I said, I use the camera I have with me, which is usually a phone. Have you found in your experience that one smartphone might be better than another at taking pictures? You know, I haven't had a lot of experience with different ones. I do use iPhone, and I find that most cameras that I've heard of just take excellent pictures. One thing that the iPhones don't do very well at is zoom in, so you need to get yourself closer to the subject if you want to have a close-up of something. And another little thing about iPhones or any of the phones is that they try to focus everything. So if you like to have a blurry background, that makes it a little bit more of a challenge. So how do you do that with an iPhone to get direct focus on a subject? The best way I've found with iPhone to get a good uh, sharp picture, you can get within about 18 inches of the subject. You can get very close. And if you want to have a blurry background, think about what's behind it. If it's the farther away the first subject is behind your main subject, the more blur you're going to get on the background. So get something up close and then something, whatever's behind it is far away. I would think, too, that being stable would help. So some either using a tripod or or maybe holding the camera close to you or or even uh, anchoring yourself could help. You know, I have found with phones that they are they have a pretty fast shutter speed, unlike some cameras, depending on settings. So I haven't really had a lot of blur problems with phones. They seem to do a pretty good job of focusing, uh, even if you're not real steady. Of course, the steadier, the better. Now let's talk a little bit about some basics of garden photography. I would think time of day would be very important. Um, Time of day is important. What my favorite time is, which we don't get a lot in Sacramento, is cloudy days or marine layer morning overcast. Uh, It makes a nice even picture, and especially of flowers or things, there's no sharp shadows from the sun. Next best would just be early morning or late afternoon, of course. The the light is warmer at that time. Um, Backlighting, even if you have sun, if the light shines from behind the subject and sort of illuminates it. I love that. Now, you mentioned that you could hold a smartphone camera about 18 inches away from the subject. Even Mm -hmm. if it has sort of a macro zoom feature, usually it's a picture of a little flower or so, you still should maintain that 18-inch difference? Uh, No, there are some attachments you can buy for the phones that will zoom in or or macro, which is a close-up lens that you have to get really close. In those cases, you would get closer than 18 inches. If you're just using the phone as it is when you take it out of your pocket, you can get maybe closer than 18 inches. Try it and see, but 18 works really well from my experience. Now, I would think the closer you get or the more you zoom in, the steadier it has to be, and and that's where a tripod could come in very handy. Yes, and they sell little tripods for phones that you can hook up to them, Um, and they're small. They sit in your pocket, too, so those will help if you are worried about a dark situation where you want to get the steadier. The beauty of having a digital camera or a smartphone is you don't have to take the film in for processing, so you can take a heck of a lot of pictures. And I guess that would be one main tip, too, would be take several photos from different angles of a subject. So, for instance, if you were in a field of blooming California poppies, 
What sort of angles would you go after? I would go all around them in different ways. Look at them from all kinds of angles, upper, get down lower, maybe see them from the side. I like to see things from different angles because you, they all look different. The same plant will look totally different from an opposite view. For those who are maybe want a picture of a grandiose tree or someone's backyard, I guess framing would be very important to try to eliminate uh, unwanted objects from the picture. Yes, that helps a lot. Most iPhones or phones in general will take a what's called wide-angle view of the picture, which is a little bit um, more than your eye can see, wide-angle meaning wide. Um, and if you want less, just step a little closer to maybe eliminate the a swing set or something that isn't going to be the garden object you want to take a picture of. And I guess, too, when you're, when you're shooting close or, or even from a distance, you need to decide what the main subject is and focus in on that. Yes, and if that can be sort of the main lower third or upper third or some portion of the picture and then the rest of it can just be adding to the beauty of the picture, that usually works pretty well for composition. Or just have it be the main subject and have it right in the middle and fill it up. Do most phones work the same way? If you wanted to focus in on a subject, let's say you're taking a picture of a backyard and there's a beautiful white rose bush uh, mm-hmm. somewhere in that picture, if you tap where that white rose bush is on your screen, would that put that plant in better focus? Sometimes when you have white in a picture and there's some dark things around it, the camera doesn't know whether you want white or whether you want the background stuff. So if you tell it that you really want the white rose, for example, then when the picture is taken, it will give you more detail in the white part of the subject rather than in the dark side and then make the white so bright you can't see any detail, which is the opposite way it'll go. It'll either take it, look for dark or it'll look for light. And if you tell it that you want the white, then you're going to get a better picture of the white, whatever it is. Okay, we've taken our pictures and now we're going to share it with our friends. We're going to post it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And there are all sorts of uh, digital manipulations you can do before you post that picture. What do you like to do with your garden photos before you post them on social media? Are there certain features that you like to use? I I usually use a software that will let me... um, increase the contrast. Generally, let's say a yellow flower on a green background, I want the yellow to stand out a little bit more, so I may make it a little brighter in the dark, the background part a little darker. I do crop things quite a bit because a lot of times you'll take a picture of something and you'll find that the most interesting thing is the portion of the picture, and it's fine to crop it because you're going to have a big picture. All of these tools now take a very large uh, format picture, and you can take part of it, and it will still be perfectly focused. So yes, I do. I do a little bit of um, post editing, but not a whole lot. I I try to take pictures and get the camera to do what I want to begin with, if I can. Now, what about aftermarket software programs? You mentioned you're using an iPhone, so you you're probably going to the Apple Store and and seeing what's available for photography enhancements. Are are there any uh, apps that you have found as necessary for garden photography with a smartphone like an iPhone? There are two applications that you can download for, and I believe they're both free, for iPhones to edit them on your phone. One of them is Prime, P-R-I-I-M-E, and another one is Snapseed. So you can get those programs on your phone to edit the pictures before you even upload them to any social media. Now, for those people who still carry around a digital camera, and call me guilty on that one, uh, any tips for them? 
I really, really like to use only a zoom lens on my uh, digital single-lens reflex SLR camera. Um, I find that a macro lens or the standard lens that comes with most cameras are useless to me. I'm getting to the age where I don't want to kneel down anymore. A zoom lens will bring whatever the subject is right to me without me having to get down on my hands and knees to get a good picture of it. And, and I use that exclusively. And the one I'm using now is a 28 to 300 millimeter zoom, and it will do anything. And it's not too much weight to carry around? It's my camera with the lens on. It's about three and a half pounds, and so you just figure you're going to get a little exercise carrying some extra weight with you. All right. Now, what about some extras that you might want to carry around with you besides the camera? Maybe sun hoods or... A sun hood on my lens, which is a little gadget that just protects a little bit from the sun hitting the lens itself. Um, Other tools always carry spare batteries. All of these devices, except the iPhone, and you should always charge your phone before you take it out to take pictures. Spare batteries on any of the little pocket cameras or uh, SLRs. Um, You could get tripods. Those are fine. I sometimes carry along a wind diffuser just to stop the wind and or to uh, filter the sunlight of the picture I want to take. A little extra work to carry things like that around. And if you have an SLR digital camera, you always want to have a filter, which is a little glass screw-in device that fits on the outside of the lens to protect it from breaking. A lot of professional garden photography, it's always so pretty because there's usually like dew or raindrops uh, coming off the flower petals. Is there any tricks for that? Oh, yes. You can take a little water bottle with you, a little spray water bottle. I have done that often in the morning, especially if it's a little bit of overcast, so it would look like maybe rain day. A little spritz with a spray water bottle on a flower makes it just look beautiful. There you go. Sacramento County Master Gardener Jan Fettler with some garden photography tips. Jan, thanks for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks, Fred. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And what I want to know, why has Charlie from Brooklyn been on hold for so long? Let's talk with Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Fred, hold on one second. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll hold on one second. There you are. Hi, Charlie. How you doing? I'm doing fine. What's life like in Brooklyn? Uh, It's nice out here today. It's like in the low 70s. Yeah, yeah, good for you. And uh, tomatoes are still producing? Yeah, I got three, four plants doing. That's it. All right. The rest of them are gone. I have one problem. All of a sudden today, I walk in my garden, and on all my arugula plants and one of my Swiss chard plants, I got harlequin bugs. Ah. How do I get rid of them? Somebody wants to give me eight, bonite eight, to spray on them. Um, and I'm like, eh, you don't think so. Yeah, you're exactly right. I don't think so either. Uh, har- just yank them? Yeah, exactly. Early in the morning is good into a bucket of soapy water. Uh, that can work, too. Let me find some other uh, solutions for you that might work. Uh, let's see here. Harlequin bugs, for those who don't know, have are a shield-shaped insect in the stink bug family. They have bright red, yep. yellow, or orange markings. And as far as uh, their best solution is to handpick the bugs or their eggs, eliminate ground covers or weedy areas around there in early spring before populations build up, destroying the crops. I mean, we talk about fall cleanup as being very important, and that's uh, very true with the harlequin bug, too. Destroy old cold crop plants and mustards before they become breeding areas. 
And it goes on to say here at the University of California site, insecticides are generally not recommended in gardens for stink bugs. Parasites and general predators may help to contribute to control. And that's why you don't want to use any harsh chemicals because you want uh, the good bugs to do the work for you. Yep. And then I got one more question after that. Okay. All right. I want to save. I have white habanero and chocolate habanero. Okay. Can I save the plants? I know, like trimming them or something, but I don't have. I would have to leave them out here. I'm thinking maybe if I get the the blue or pink insulation and put plexiglass on top for light. I think they're going to need. They're going to need higher temperatures than what that would provide in in New York, Charlie, because the habanero prefers a, a hot climate. And if you can't bring them indoors, which would be the ideal solution if you want them to overwinter, would be to bring them indoors where the nighttime temperature wouldn't fall below 55 or so. (laughs) Yeah. That's not going to happen in New York. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) All right, Charlie. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Fred. Sure. Good to hear from you. All right. Same here. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Charlie uh, Gardens in a community garden that was an old airstrip in Brooklyn. Good to hear from him. Hey, the KSDE Farm Hour is on the way after uh, the noon noon news. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, Sacramento County's farm report, which just came out. And it was a banner year for crop production here in Sacramento County. And uh, I'll let you guess uh, over the next few minutes as to the commodity that led the way, the top producing agricultural commodity for Sacramento County. And the answer will be forthcoming on the KSDE Farm Hour. Organic farms had a great year. California led the way. We have the numbers on that. And also an extended conversation about the benefits of hedgerows on the farm, of using California native plants, usually in a 15-foot wide strip, uh, on a farm where there's a bit of a buffer between the hedgerow and your crops, perhaps a roadway or something about a similar width, that can really cut down on your pollination expenses and your pest control bills, too. It's just a matter of time, though, time and money, to let it get established first before you get a good return on investment. So we'll, we'll talk about the pros and cons of establishing hedgerows on the farm on this edition of the KSTE Farm Hour coming up between noon and 1 o'clock. Time for me to get on out of here making room for the news and the KSTE Farm Hour. Don't forget, this show is available as a podcast. You can find it at kste.com. If you have the iHeartRadio app, you can find it there. Now, at the iHeartRadio app and at KSTE.com, you can only stream it. You can listen to it. If you want to download it, go to your third-party podcast aggregator, such as iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play or or wherever that you may find uh, your your podcasts, and you'll probably find the KSTE Farm Hour there, uh, the KSTE Farm Hour and Get Growing for that matter, as well. And the KFBK Garden Show, for that matter, too. So all three available as downloads from your third-party podcast aggregators. Coming up next week on this very program, we're talking with Lauren McCrary, houseplant expert at Green Acres Nursery. So we'll be talking houseplants on the next thrill-packed episode of Get Growing every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Have yourself a great rest of the weekend and a great week ahead. Bye-bye.